Starting a company or building anything is a lonely journey unless you include other people, involve other people in it. Right? There's no need to go at anything alone. But that network of uh, CTO friends in Chicago has been a very helpful sounding board to ask these questions. You know, the bill buy decision, the language choice, the monolith versus microservices, the databases, like these are all decisions and choices we had to make. The hardest decisions, I think, were the build-by decisions. What is worth building? What is core to our business? If we didn't innovate or didn't change, wouldn't matter to the business. I'm Mike Cruz, co-founder and CTO of Protege. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Mike Cruz is building the platform for you to be discovered by submitting your art form 60 seconds at a time. All this and more on Code Story. Mike Cruz grew up in Guam, near Japan. He spent 18 years before moving to the U.S. for college. He's always been in tech, everywhere from the Discovery Channel to startups like Trunk Club. He has a young family with two boys, and his oldest is getting into programming from the lens of gaming. He reflects on how far games have come these days as they were much simpler and easier to code in the past. In 2011, Mike and his co-founder witnessed the proliferation of boot camps for practical entry and exposure to the tech industry. Given their own backgrounds and struggling to plug into the music and startup scenes, they thought they could replicate this type of model and help people be discovered. This is the creation story of Protégé. So the mission behind Protégé is to democratize access to life-changing careers. You know, we believe that talent is distributed, but opportunity is not. And so how do people who don't have access, who don't, who aren't born into or have the money to get into or the clout to get into these closed networks of opportunity, how do you help them get discovered and help them rise up? My co-founder Jackson and I both had experiences where we, if Protégé existed, would have been, would have had a lot easier of a time. We persevered nonetheless, but we wanted to build something that would have helped the people we were 10 years ago. So my story as it relates to getting into Protégé was one around trying to break through, failing, and then having to take a step back to be able to succeed. And so we do that by creating a marketplace where experts can meet students, they can vet work from their students, they can consider them for opportunities and ultimately grant them the credentials and the opportunities that they have access to. Uh, What we learned is on that is that there are gatekeepers in industries that oftentimes hold the power to make decisions, career decisions, you know, investment decisions, all these other decisions. And if you could only access them and have them consider you truly for your skill, for your potential, for the opportunity, then we believe that that will open doors for people. And we believe, again, that because talent is distributed, there are some amazingly talented people that just don't have that shot, just don't have that access. And so that's what, that's what we started this around, is how can we give more people a shot at opportunity, more people a shot at being considered, because we knew if we did, we could change some lives. So what I saw when I was, this is in 2011, uh, there were a lot of boot camps that had come up around uh, technical boot camps, where people could learn how to program, get involved in this new industry of technology. 
And this is the time when I was at Trunk Club, which is this men's fashion company that we ended up selling to Nordstrom. And I was fortunate enough to need a big team. I had trouble hiring people. And so, because we were so new. And so we started to turn to these boot camps, which are putting out people who are always passionate about technology, but for whatever reason chose marketing or law or whatever other path. And then these boot camps came up as, as an opportunity for them to learn a new skill, to do the thing that, to, to get paid for, for the passion that they were already pursuing at night or on the weekends, and then find their way into this new career. So we saw these boot camps be hugely successful for helping people pursue their passions. And we wanted Protégé to be another way that people could do that. Well, let's jump into the MVP then of Protégé. So tell me about that MVP. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? One of the things I was most excited about, so I'd left a fintech company to start Protégé. You know, in my career, as I moved up, it was more managing and less building, more telling and less doing. And I really want, I still love to build. I was so excited to start Protégé so I could actually build the code. Now I'm not the best and I know I'm smart enough to know that I'm not the smartest person. And so I've now started to hire smarter people to help extend what we built. But early on, it was me. And the MVP, I'm sure you get other founders on here that talk about the meandering journey when you first start. The reason I needed to start Protégé was when I was trying to get into startups. I had worked at the Discovery Channel for a decade, the enterprise company, I was kind of climbing the ranks and I uh, had led a team and I figured, well, now I want to get into startups. And I was, the enterprise stuff was fun, but ultimately startups are where it's at. My dad was an entrepreneur and I wanted to follow his steps. Couldn't get people to respond to my emails. You know, all these CTO positions at startups or early stage uh, first engineers at startups, I couldn't get anyone to respond back to me. And I was struggling to figure out, well, what am I missing? What skill am I missing that I could run an enterprise engineering team at the Discovery Channel, but I can't run a two-person engineering team at a startup? That's why I realized, well, actually, it's it's not a skill gap. It's an access gap. And the way I actually got in Trunk Club was my path into startups was the way I got into Trunk Club was I ended up applying to all these other companies, not getting any callbacks and failing for whatever reason. And then I decided I was going to get into Trunk Club because it was an exciting startup in Chicago. And I applied to an entry-level engineering job on Craigslist. That's how I got in. Was I figured, well, if I can't get the job I want, I'm going to get any job, get in there and then climb the ranks and prove myself. Because I knew once I could get in, it wasn't, again, I knew it wasn't a skill problem, it was an access problem. I just couldn't get access. So I was willing to take a pay cut, a title cut, apply, effectively get in at the mailroom and work my way up. The MVP, kind of going back to that. So we built this on TypeScript and Node on the back end and React and Next on the, fr- on the front end. And then we also have a mobile app built in Swift and Swift UI. Uh, I had a chance, which is this weird you know, blank canvas moment where you say, okay, I'm going to start a company. What do I do? Like, what do I use? You know, I could use this Go or Rust or uh, Chicago's big for Rails a long time ago. And you're kind of looking around and thinking, well, what's, what's the right choice both for me to have fun building stuff and for me to hire developers? So we chose, I chose TypeScript, no JavaScript, TypeScript specifically, because I really like strongly typed languages. And I really like the um, kind of confidence you get with that. We really decided to focus on music and helping musicians and artists get discovered and break through. But we started originally with business and with you being able to submit a business pitch and get feedback on it from business leaders. 
and it was text-based instead of video-based, and uh, it was about annotation and markup versus uh, video and video response. And so we built that as the core. But we realized there's actually a lot of this problem that we discovered in music, and the problem being the ambiguous path to success and the these these gatekeepers industries where there's ambiguity about how to be successful creates gatekeepers and those gatekeepers now have the power but sometimes they don't have the access or the motivation to go outside their networks to look for when they give opportunity so we found that in music we said to go well, business is great but music is really interesting and it's also when when success happens and breaking moments happen in, in music they're very visible and there are a lot of examples of this already happening justin bieber was found by usher Olivia Rodrigo was found by Taylor Swift. And so the MVP started with business. It evolved into music. And uh, that's where we are today. So with any MVP, right, when you're back in the MVP, and you talked about some of these trade-offs in, in the languages and how you approached it, but dive into it a little more. You got to make certain decisions and trade-offs around feature cut, tech debt. Tell me about how you made those decisions and how you coped with them. Starting a company or building anything is a lonely journey unless you include other people, involve other people in it. And so I'm a big believer in, in, in anyone in their career surrounding yourself with a, an advisory, a personal advisory board, just people you trust, you can ask questions to that have done or are doing the thing you're doing. Right? There's no need to go at anything alone if there are so many other people solving similar problems in similar spaces. So just involve yourself with them. And so there's a CTO network in Chicago, which I've been very thankful for, just a bunch of friends that uh, have all gotten together and we have a slack and we just ask questions like what language should i use or how do i think about SOC 2 compliance to you know what what's the best vendor for x or y and different than if i were to just google it it was actually people that i could ask get feedback from which is again part of what we wanted protege to be as well but that network of uh, cto friends in chicago or just not it's expanded now with that room being remote uh, has been a very helpful sounding board to ask these questions you know the build by decision the language choice the monolith versus microservices the databases like these are all decisions and choices we had to make the hardest decisions i think were the build by decision what is worth building what is core to our business if we didn't innovate it or didn't change wouldn't matter to the business those are things like authentication media processing and payment processing just things that we know that other companies do better that aren't core to our business or our experience so deciding on those things and what we build versus buy was probably the hardest question challenge and that network of other ctos and tech people helped me to make those decisions or give me confidence in those decisions ultimately okay so then from the mvp point how did you progress the product and mature it? And I think to wrap that question in a box, what I'm looking for is how you built your roadmap and decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. You know, you, when you start, you build for yourself, right? Because you're, I think the best products are solutions to problems that the founders have. So we had this problem of access. And so we knew probably the first six months plus of stuff we needed to build because that's what I, I wanted to exist when I ran into this problem of access uh, to opportunity. So the roadmap then was just, was all experiential. Protégé is a two-sided marketplace where we have experts on one side, students on the other side, and we create connections where students can submit a piece of media that shows their skill, experts can give them feedback, and then can consider them for opportunity. That one-minute summary was a six-month roadmap. And initially, it was just us knowing, okay, we need to build these things. This is what we, should, we think it should feel like. 
And then we mapped that all out. So we did map a good amount of the experience out within the first couple of weeks. I'd say about a month and a half into building this out. So we, we got the MVP together within a month, less than a month. We built it, tested it with ourselves, it worked. And we started to go to uh, people we didn't know, or maybe one level away, people we knew knew. That's when we started to adapt the roadmap based on how they were giving us feedback or how they were using the product. If I were to do it again, the roadmap we built was what we needed, what we believed we needed, and what we would use as experiences and flow. And that got us six months out, at least knowing what we needed to build. But then a month and a half out, we went and we, we revised that, constantly asking, is this useful to people? And what do I cut or what can I change? Well, then let's flip the team, Mike. How did you build your team? And what did you look for in those people that indicated to you that they were the winning horses to join you? I think this is a constant journey. The thing we did, Jackson and I did at the start, was we laid out our core values. One of the advantages of starting a company is you can pick your co-founders. Right? You can decide who I want to go to battle with, who I want to work with for the next five, 10 years in this journey of frustration and highs and lows and all the other things that, as you know, come with the startup experience. That was an intentional decision. We want to work together. We also laid out, here are the things that matter to us. Here are our values. We have five values that we put it, we put to paper the first couple of weeks we started the company. And we were very intentional with that, with that org and those ideas of the values and the, um, the core mission statement. Everyone still to this day that we interview and end up hiring has had an experience where they ran into a wall where they couldn't get access, they lacked access and persevered nonetheless. And that experience is essential for us, at least in this first team, this first phase of the team, that everyone understands and experiences that because that is what keeps you going. I can tell you what the mission is, but unless you've actually felt it or seen it, it doesn't drive you as much as when you've actually, when you're trying to solve the problem for yourself. So hiring people that have experienced the problem has been essential or a requirement for us and has been very valuable in getting the team to just keep going and ultimately not need much direction because the message, the message is just build what you needed right, to solve your problem because we all had the same problem. And it's been easy because of that to keep the team aligned. Let's flip to scalability then. So as, as openly as I can ask this question, uh, almost pretending like I haven't heard how you've built the rest of the product. Did you build this sca- to scale? Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction? It's an interesting debate that we had at the store, that I had mostly internally at the stars. How scalable do I build this? Do I build microservices? Do I use a search engine off the shelf? Do we introduce caching now? When do we do all these things? I guess history will determine whether I was right or not, but I invested in a lot of that upfront. From the start, we had code coverage, we had test coverage, we had a CI/CD all the way to production, continuous delivery pipeline. So we actually ship code to production when when uh, you commit to get all the way to uh, monitoring and alerting with Sentry and PagerDuty. I built a I built these companies several times before, and I have this sort of template that I take with me that is this minimum viable, scalable thing, right? And there are definitely things that we didn't add to at the start, so we don't have a full text search engine. We're still doing that in the database because their data is small enough right now to survive that. But there are other things that I think are non-negotiable, things like monitoring, alerting, and error handling, and the ability to horizontally scale the architecture. 
the you know there's a debate around microservices and i i've i've built companies that have been microservice based and monolith based and we've chosen to logically separate but not physically separate the services and uh, but we're all serverless and we have an event bus architecture to allow the system to scale a little bit more now the trade off of that is it did take a little more time right we didn't build the very simple architecture we had we have isolated modules for each one of the the entities within our uh, domain model and we have a separation of the front end and the back end via graphql api and those decisions probably added a couple weeks to our architecture but it's definitely paid off already I and mean, we've only been running this for a little less than a year and it's paid off in not having to do this you know two years down the line when i've realized oh my company's actually taken off and now i have to redo half of this architecture because i was just trying to cobble together an mvp so okay as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built what are you most proud of Every company that I built, including Protege, the thing that I'm most proud of is the the team and the culture and the environment that we've built that encourages and rewards creativity and autonomy and you know that that idea that you can set a goal and have them exceed it. I think that's really cool. You know, we're building very um, ephemeral things, right? Like Trunk Club. We when we built that, we just I just got a notification that. Nordstrom, they finally shut it down. Yeah, and so nothing that we build will last forever, except for the team and the culture and the inspiration that you give people. The coolest thing I still go back to is that the teams that I built at Trunk Club, those people are now leading their own teams, and now they're taking those cultural values and tenets and building that into their teams, and they're taking the architectural ideas that we've learned and incorporating that into their teams. That's the sustainable thing. That's the thing I'm most proud of is that that mindset. That we can then put out in the world, and hopefully, just continues to to grow. And that's you know, curiosity, kindness, uh, owning, not renting, things like that, that that ultimately matter most to us. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I would caveat this with, and maybe this is this uh, the easy answer, but every, I think every mistake is just a chance to learn. I think that the I would say my learning moments or how many things have we learned from I think as a business choosing the right path to go down so we started with protege for business and realized that there's a lot of opportunity in music and that decision to test and then pull back and then go into music instead was uh it it took some time um but it was a good learning experience I'd say more in the mobile space. We've tested a bunch of different architectures that have not scaled. So it's sort of a bet on how quickly can we build this? Do we use MVVM or do we use the Swift UI? So do we use UIKit or Swift UI? The that decision to use UIKit not a mistake. It's it was necessary at the time, but what we learned from that is that one Swift UI matured a ton, but to the ability to rapidly iterate was the most important thing. So I think there's some technical mistakes we made, but nothing that's been uh, fatal, uh, at least not in Protege. So then for Protege, what does the future look like, you know, in terms of the product and in terms of your team? Protege right now is the place you go to get heard and be discovered in music. And 
what you'll see in the next couple months is that's going to expand to the same thing for dance and art and business and you know and keep going on so what we've distilled down is okay the problem is that in industries where there's ambiguity in how to be successful gatekeepers crop up and hold the power for how success and opportunities is given and those gatekeepers intentionally or unintentionally close themselves off from talent that's around the world and we've seen this now definitely in music and in music a ton of genres but the music and all these subgenres it's definitely still it's everywhere and so how do we enable those gatekeepers to open their eyes to more talent out there because they actually do want to when we talk to them we realize like actually it's not an not a malicious thing where they're trying to only give opportunity to the people that they know it's just a lack of access right the lack of them to filter out the noise so you know that you'll see people will uh, dm uh these gatekeepers asking them for access but they just get inundated with all these dms and they just shut down so what social media promises okay like everyone is accessible i can dm anyone in the world the reality is they're not listening because there's too much noise we cut the noise in music today and so what's happening what's next for protege is just finding those patterns in other industries where okay are there gatekeepers is there ambiguity in success can we help create more access is the demonstration of skill something that we can put together in a package and help to present to the experts so they can judge and then is there a feedback opportunity where we can create growth in those industries so find those implement those we're going to be rolling out a couple more in the next couple months and again intentionally we want to make sure we have density and give real value in each community that we go into before we go super wide and say like everyone is here eventually there's a world that we want to help create where everyone is accessible and everyone anyone can talk to anyone and have them be considered this cool this core uh you know our forward story for our businesses be heard get discovered that is not specific to music not specific to art or business it's anywhere right and we want to give people the opportunity to be heard to be heard means everything from just listen to me to understand me and we think everyone deserves to be heard regardless of where you are who you are what you do and we believe that everyone can and should have the opportunity to get discovered as well you know we i do believe that a small team can do great things we sold trunk club with a team of 15 engineers i think what will happen in the next year or two is really focusing on building fewer things and buying more things so what is the thing that we need to do uniquely well build just that pull off the shelf best of breed solutions and for you know payment off and things like that but just continue to focus on building fewer things but build them really well so let's switch to you mike who influences the way that you work name a you know ceo cto architect really any person that you look up to and why i look at what's been done rather than who did it for the most most of the time i believe that some people have an outsized impact in the company but i think a lot of a lot of the best leaders what they did really well was they hired good people they understood the culture that they needed to build and they hired for that culture and then they got out of the way i would say apple has done a great job with and steve jobs specifically has done a great job creating simple products that just work I find you know inspired by my dad in his ability to focus and I learned a lot of lessons from him in how you know when it's your company the buck stops with you and understanding the weight of that um but otherwise I'm inspired by companies that have achieved great things or or teams that have achieved great things so we talked about a mistake earlier 
and a little bit different spin though. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I think with Protégé, I would have doubled down more quickly on the music uh, focus. You know, I, we, we tested that early on and we knew that there was signal there, but just really understanding and going all in, being okay with, again, the what's, is it a one-way door or a two-way door? So what I would have done differently, and probably in general, is just have full conviction and know that you can always get out of most decisions. Same thing in my career, right? It's just really having the trust in myself that I know that I can do this and I can get through it and get confidence, which probably came later in my life, right? In my 20s, if I go to me, what I would have done differently in my career was bet on myself earlier, listen to the people that believed in me, bet on myself earlier, and not, not just taking the easy path. Because I knew where I wanted to get to. I just hoped that it would be an easier path or hoped that I didn't have to take as much risk. It took 10 years for me to take a risk on myself and you know take that entry-level engineering job to get the job that I wanted. And if I could go back and do it again, I would, or if I could tell myself something, I would just tell you, you could do it. You know you can, and you just have to believe in yourself. Same thing with companies, right? With Protégé and every other company that I've been a part of, just do it. Just do it and learn. Well, last question, Mike. So you're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice would you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? And maybe a mixture of what you just said, but I'm curious to see where you take it. The framework I found helpful in uh, talking to entrepreneurs when they explain the product that they're working on is, is four things. is What's the problem? What's the solution? How is it different? Not better, but different than everything else out there. And what's the transformation you see in your user when they've used it? Everyone can answer the first two. Okay, it's, you know, here's my problem or here's my solution. Oftentimes, everyone has the answer, the solution answer, right? The second one. Maybe 80% have the problem one, which is okay. I'm, this isn't a solution searching for a problem. This is actually a solution to my problem, which is best. Some percent have the different, not better. The different part is hard because, you know, what people will tell you is better is a race to zero, right? There's better, faster, cheaper, but there's always someone that can undercut with enough cash or capital or whatever they can know they can get to they can beat you at better they can't beat you at different because you have some unique perspective on it the last thing which is the transformation oftentimes people skip this because they either don't notice it in themselves like if they saw a problem for themselves they don't notice what transformation actually went through or they don't focus on it enough but that's the thing that ultimately matters that's the thing that creates a lifelong user uh, that creates a customer evangelist that creates repeat purchase frequency right so What's the transformation you want to see so you know that it's working and then you know where to find it again? So I'd ask that person those four things, right? They'll tell me, okay, well, what is it? Actually tell me about it within the lens of these four things. Ultimately, if you know, the, the question always gets to, well, what do I do next or how do I, how do I go from here? And it's just how much you're betting on yourself. Everyone has an entrepreneurial you know, spark in them. But I think what separates the people that want to do it from the people that do it is just that willingness to bet on themselves, take the risk, potentially go to zero, but ultimately learn in pursuit of learning, right? This is the thing, it's in pursuit of learning. So I would ask then, what do you, what risk have you taken to get this out there? There's a quote around, if your product is perfect, you've waited too long to ship it or something to that effect. And I do think that it's how many people have seen it before you shown it to me. Ideally, a lot of people, and ideally they've seen it before it's been perfect. 
And so how are you getting it out there? What risks are you taking to get it out there? And then answering those four questions. That's great advice. Well, Mike, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Protégé. Of course. Yeah, thanks for having me, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just 5 to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.